Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. It's my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And we're so grateful that you're joining us. If you are new here, don't let the name fool you. Um, we are not religionless, and this show is not religionless. It is the world, and especially this nation that we live in, that is increasingly secular, uh, increasingly religionless, you could say, and that at least in part is where the name of the show comes from. So uh, how can we live a life that's pleasing to God in a secular and religionless world? That's what we're going to be trying to help you guys with as we try to help ourselves with the same thing um, by looking at stories from around the country and around the world that we think are of particular importance to Christians. So today on the show, we are going to take a look back at Asbury. Um, what has happened in the year since the Asbury Revival, or the Asbury Awakening as it was dubbed. Um, don't you just feel like revival is sweeping the nation, honey? Uh, mm, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not too sure. Uh, we'll also look at some recent comments from Pope Francis that I find interesting. Then we're going to look at a uh, recent survey that came out, and uh, not good news for pastors. And then finally, we want to look at the debased mind and why it matters what Alistair Begg said. Mm -hmm. So we've got a lot to get to. I think this has the potential for a pretty good show as long as I don't blow it. But before we get to all the topics, is there anything you'd like to say? Any prayer requests or praise reports? Yes, please pray uh, for my brother. I just found out recently uh, this week that he has to have surgery, uh, tumor on his pancreas. He's only 41, pretty young to be dealing with something like this. So surgery is very complex. I wasn't aware of how complex it was. Um, so please pray that there's nothing left behind, that they get all of the tumor and all the cancerous cells, and that he recovers well. Um, so, yeah, yeah. pray for him. His name's Mike. Please pray for him. We'd be blessed by that. I know he would as well. Um, I will say for prayer requests, uh, please pray for Alistair Begg, if we haven't mentioned yeah. that already. Uh, you know, just as of late this week, he was removed from speaking at the Shepherds Conference. Uh, so he was kind of one of the headliners coming to the Shepherds Conference. He's been removed from that, which I think is the right move. Um Mm -hmm. But just pray that he would, you know, heed the warnings that so many have been giving to him. Yeah. You know, it's, we're told iron sharpens iron, but you kind of have to let that iron sharpen you. You got to be open right. to the sharpening. So pray that he would be open to that. And then um, just pray for me. I received my, you know, I sat down with one of the pastors today and kind of kickstarted the official sort of eldership training plan that I'm set on now for the church something we've been talking about doing, but today we finally kicked it off, which is um, nerve-wracking and exciting for sure. So just pray that I wouldn't embarrass myself and my family and the Lord in the process. That's what we're hoping for there. So we'll get this show started reminding ourselves of what Asbury was. Um, so the Asbury Revival kicked off Shockingly, February 8th of 2023, which seems earlier in the year than I remember it, but that's what it was. So it was before we moved to Albuquerque, though. 
We talked about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's February, February 8th. Years so gone fast. Yeah. Do you want to read this headline and the subtitle, subheading there? When a Christian revival goes viral. At Asbury University in Kentucky, a student chapel service turned into a revival that has captivated TikTok. Well, that basically sums it up, doesn't it? Uh, but we'll continue. Uh, we'll yeah. press on here. Um, I have this other article as well. Let me see if I can find. Yeah, here we go. Do you want to read this? Okay. It says, after the Asbury Revival started spontaneously on February 8th, the university officially ended revival services on February 23rd, which was National collegiate day of prayer. During that final service, people prayed over college campuses, asking God to bring revival to the world. Yeah. So, I mean, you guys no doubt remember Asbury. I mean, it really gripped the Christian world for a few weeks while it went on. And even, you know, a lot of secular news agencies and stuff like that had to acknowledge what was happening in Wilmore, Kentucky. You know, tens of thousands of people poured into Asbury um, Seminary, Asbury University, kind of hoping to experience, you know, this outpouring of God, if you will. Uh, many were hopeful, many were joyful for what was taking place there. Uh, many others, like Nikki and I, were skeptical of what we were reading and seeing. So what has happened since Asbury? I think it's worth looking back on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the time when it kicked off, Nikki and I basically said that if it was a true revival, then we would see evidence of a true biblical revival. And we looked at the examples from scripture, like King Josiah in second, mm-hmm. uh, second Samuel, or no, I'm sorry, second Kings chapter 22 and 23. We looked at Nehemiah chapter eight. And, you know, we kind of talked at the time that if this was a real revival, we would see, you know, false idols, false teachers being removed from their posts. I think we would have heard a lot in the news if things were really happening. It would have been catching headlines. Yeah, I mean, because the things that should have happened that we, you know, talked about expecting to see mm-hmm. would be headline grabbing things, right? False idols, false teachers removed, um, seeing things like mass repentance, mm-hmm. even things like seeing God's people separating themselves from a sinful world. Uh, So is that what we have seen in America since Asbury? And Nikki and I would have to say no. You know, I mean, we still see the same godless leaders in positions of power. We see so many in the Christian church still tolerating and making room for obvious false teachers, as we'll discuss later. I mean, shoot, we even got, you know, Christians in Iowa arguing for the continued display of a satanic idol in the state capitol mm-hmm. because of freedom, you know. Uh, you know, in many respects, we see America in basically the same place it was before Asbury. Hatred, it's idolatrous, it's prideful. So, you know, like, what are we to make of what happened in Asbury? And I, I think... what they say. Yeah, I wonder what they would say. Well, I guess we probably would know, right? They are a revival school. Because mm-hmm. as we mentioned at the time, they've had like eight to 10 of these revivals that have happened at Asbury since like 1900. So this is nothing new for Asbury. 
Um, so what I make of it is I think that the Atlantic article, uh, article that we read was right. I think it nailed it on the head. It was a revival that captivated TikTok. It was a mm-hmm. TikTok revival. Um, and what's interesting is this other article that we read, um, that Nikki read from, referenced, uh, this is religionnews.com. It says uh, that the revival ended on the National Day of Collegiate Prayer. Pretty eerie coincidence, huh? The Holy Spirit knew when to duck out. And then it also mm-hmm. says down here, um, <clears throat> Asbury President Kevin Brown announced on February 19 that outpouring services would move off campus. The school later decided to no longer have a role in those services. The school decided to end the on-campus services after tens of thousands of visitors flooded the campus in the small town of Wilmore, Kentucky, overwhelming locals and blocking traffic for miles. So, you know, here is this spontaneous, amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit that was sweeping the nation and it was put to a stop because traffic was becoming a burden for you the locals in the world. God is doing something, uh, you can't be like, all right, it's over. <laughs> and how do you have school officials go, today it ends, the collegiate day of prayer. Thanks for your presence, Holy Spirit. I know. We got it from here. Right? Does that sound legit? I mean, I would say no. Um, now, I know doubt believe that people's, you know, faith might've been lifted by this event and going to Asbury. But I mean, you know, my faith is lifted every time I go to Grace Community Church. I'm going to go there for the Shepherds Conference. My faith is going to be lifted just being in that atmosphere. Yeah, It's like my own personal revival, but it's not a great awakening every time I show up to Grace Community Church. Um, So, you know, that's what I think. And I hate to be skeptical on stuff like this, but that's just the way I see it. I don't see, you know, some massive, you know, call to repentance where we're, you know, storming the Capitol and removing these godless leaders and, you know, kicking heretics out of their pulpits. Just don't see it. Um, now, of course, one year isn't really enough time to see if like the heart of the nation's changed. But from where we sit today, um, we just don't think that Asbury was what they claimed. Right. Not that God hear. wasn't moving in people's hearts who did attend. Right. Because that's what they always say. Like, well, I, you know, my cousin Betsy went there and she was saved or she repented. And you're like, fantastic. Praise God for that. Um, that's still right. a working there of the Holy Spirit. There were people there, I'm sure. You know, with but, the right, their heart was in the right position and they were seeking. Right. The but Lord, was it Nehemiah 8? Was it Ezra at the water gate? I just don't think so. Um, So, you know, again, time will tell, right? Years, not really enough time to tell if the nation has changed. Um, But as we sit here today, still skeptical, but hopeful, you know, I still hope that God's spirit would pour out and turn hearts and, you know, um, call people to repentance and all those sorts of things. So, and for whoever it did that showed up to Asbury, again, Praise God. That revival Spirit was real be, for you. But the Holy Spirit can be is everywhere. You don't have to go. Like I said that before, you don't have to go to a location. It's like, here's your one chance. Right. And that was here. always the silliness of the whole revival. We're going, you know, that's where the Holy Spirit is. And you're like, really, is he not in Lexington, Kentucky? 
<laughs> is he not in Nashville, Tennessee too? No, he's only in Wilmore for these two weeks before the school president puts it to a stop. So, um, you know, I'm glad for whatever it was, if people were, you know, felt a great connection to God, if their affections for God were strengthened, then that's all awesome, right? It's a personal revival. Fantastic and praise God for it. Um, but, you know, just, I think the social media age kind of, um, you know, kind of pushed that into a frenzy, if you will. Yep. So do you have any last thoughts on Asbury? No, we've talked about it a lot last year. Yeah, we did. Who knows? <laughs> I don't Maybe. think I've had... I have much more to say about it. I mean, I'm actually surprised by how, how few articles I saw about Asbury. Being a year since. Because like I was looking this up, you know, it's a year since Asbury. Like, people are probably going to talk about it. And I saw a few articles that were kind of like, you know, just a simple recounting of, you know, the news that we heard last year. But nothing, you know, again, talking about the crazy, you know, spiritual revivals across the nation. It was just like, woo, you guys believe what happened last year? Man, that was crazy. Anywho, like, you know, just uh, pretty interesting. So, all right. Before we move on, though, before we get to our next story, I will get to the plug now. I do want to take a second to remind you guys that we are proud members of the Christian Podcast community. It's a great place to go and find 50 to 60 good Christian podcasts that cover a range of different topics. And the great thing is if you, you know, go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, you know, whatever, iHeartRadio, probably all the big ones, probably whatever podcast platform you have. Search for Christian Podcast Community. You can subscribe to one feed and you get like all 50 to 60 of the podcasts coming into that one feed. Makes it really simple. Um, And again, it's available pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. We will be hopefully, Lord willing, doing the the Theology Throwdown again on uh, Monday, February 5th is when we're going to record. I don't know when it'll come out, but sounds interesting. We're going to have a theology throwdown discussing Alistair Begg. So that's going to be pretty interesting. I'm interested to see where that goes. Um, so come check us out on the Christian podcast community. Links are in the show notes. You can follow that. Sure. You'll be blessed. So that's what we're doing. I believe so. You are blessed to have that on your birthday. So what else would you want to do besides discuss theology with some good Christian friends? Hmm. Anyways, let's move along here. (laughs) So the next story that we have, I think is a pretty interesting one. We are discussing the Pope. And, you know, the Pope has been saying a lot of interesting things as of late. And I'm not sure how I feel about this discussion. I, you know, it's because I hadn't thought of it really before. And in a lot of ways, you know, I'm going to agree with what the Pope has to say here. And, you know, it's interesting. It's never really a place you necessarily think you're going to be when you're coming to agreement with an antichrist. But it's 2024 and here we are. Always truth mixed in, <laughs> right? always truth. He's not wrong all the time. I like some of the things the Pope says, like this one. So uh, do you want to read this headline? Uh, Pope Francis called surrogacy deplorable, but the reasons why women and parents choose surrogacy are complex and defy simple labels. Yes, 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 of course, of course. Um, Do you want to read what the Pope actually said? He said, I deem deplorable the practice of so-called surrogate motherhood, 
which represents a grave violation of the dignity of the woman and the child based on the exploitation of situations of the mother's material needs. And this article goes on in here and it says, uh, let me pull it up. It says, while the Pope framed his condemnation of surrogacy as a human rights abuse, the Catholic tradition has consistently opposed surrogacy, in vitro fertilization, and abortion on the grounds that they violate natural law. Man, uh, like I said, this is a topic that I have not thought much about. But after reading this, I got to agree with the Pope. You know, as I thought about this, read this, and sort of looked into some stuff, I think I agree with the Pope here in most respects, probably all respects. You know, I'm sure there's some outlying things that I haven't considered, but um, I think I agree with him here. And now again, I don't know. I'm ready to like just clearly at this moment denounce outright all surrogacy, but um, you know, it's not abortion in my mind just yet, but I do believe that surrogacy is uh, by and large deplorable. And it has to do with the reasons why people would seek to use a surrogate mostly. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's look first at what the Pope, um, or let's look at who is condemning the Pope. I think that's good to look at who is actually condemning him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let me see if I can find it here. Do you want to read this? This is from religionnews.com. All right. Um, Pope Francis' recent uh, condemnation of surrogacy, which equated the practice with human trafficking, is nothing new in the Catholic Church. But after he opened the door to same-sex blessings, it felt like a step backward to many in the LGBTQ community and others who look to surrogacy as a path toward building a family. While many in the Catholic Church share the same views, members of the LGBTQ community and surrogacy advocates were taken aback by the Pope's strong words. Yeah, so mm-hmm. who's condemning the Pope? Well, the LGBTQ community. And uh, here's one story from that religion, religionnews.com article that shows us, or supposed to show us the positive of surrogacy. It says, Ambrosino... Mm-hmm a Catholic, and his husband decided they wanted to become parents early on in their relationship. Thanks to a close friend who offered to carry the child, they were able to pursue surrogacy. When Ambrosino read about Francis' statement, he said he wished the Pope would listen to positive experiences like his own. Um, so this gay couple wanted to have a kid, so they could play family and mm-hmm. surrogacy helped. And I think this is the number one reason why I agree with Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find exactly the numbers on, you know, how many same-sex couples used surrogacy, mostly because I'm not a great researcher. But I did see over here on, what is this, the Williams Institute, it talks about there's 114,000 same-sex couples that are raising children in the U.S. Um, and that number is growing, mm. and surrogacy is one of the ways that those, um, one of those ways that these same-sex couples are getting their children. And then I think if it's this article, if I can find the numbers that it talks about. Yeah, 
says, according to one study, over 18,000 children were born in the U.S. via uh, surrogacy between 1999 and 2014. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention show that the practice is on the rise. The number of embryos carried by surrogate mothers has grown from uh, 2,841 in 2011 to 9,195 in 2019. And here's a little fun fact from the article. The U.S. is currently the only country that allows commercial surrogacy for same-sex couples. Hmm. Uh, And then it says, while official figures are hard to find, a study of fertility clinics in over 10 cities conducted by Fertility IQ for the Chicago Tribune found up to a 50% rise in gay men who have had children via surrogacy between 2011 and 2015. So, wow, surrogacy is on the rise. It's on the rise for same-sex couples that want to have children of their own. So they're going the surrogacy route. And that's probably the number one reason I'm against it. Why would they not just adopt? Because so many... Adoption agencies, I mean, they don't mind, you know. Well, because everybody wants the joy of having a newborn baby, right? That is their baby (sighs) and they can claim it that it's theirs, even though it's not theirs. It's not theirs. Um, It can't be both of theirs. It can be one of theirs. I mean, in that respect, right? It's the Pope Francis said there is human trafficking. I mean, yeah, you're literally buying a child from somebody else. I mean, I don't know what else you're going to call it, right? But, um, and here's a yeah. uh, another wonderful story of uh, surrogacy. This is the craziest story I've heard in a while. Yeah, it says uh, this story here. I'm not going to read too much from it, but intended parents demands surrogate terminate healthy pregnancy. So the story goes on to tell... About this gay couple, I believe it was. Was it? I can't remember who was gay. I think couple. it even was. It might have just been a regular heterosexual couple, but, but still. They talk yeah. about how they paid for this pregnancy because they wanted to have twins, is what they wanted. And then when they mm-hmm. found out through an ultrasound that only one of the children took during the uh, procedure, you know, this loving couple that was desperate for the children of their own, mm-hmm. uh, they asked the surrogate to abort a healthy child. Because she didn't have twins. And they're like, ah, we'll just try again later. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, it, you know. Like, it didn't work. Just start over. Like, well, just, like. And it's Like, horrifying. it's not a big deal. Like, a casual. Just a, It's just a business deal. <laughs> I mean, and it uh, sounds horrifying, which it is. Uh, but why shouldn't they? Like, that was what I thought when I read this. I'm like, I know I'm supposed to be super offended by this, but. Why shouldn't they? If we're told that for just a few shekels, they can buy a kid. Well, if it doesn't turn out the way they want, should they get their money back? Well, maybe they should didn't they want to. Maybe they thought they were doing her a favor. Like, you don't have to go through with this pregnancy. We would really just want twins instead, a boy and girl twin. Like, they thought maybe they were doing her a favor. Like, because you're going to have to do it again anyway, because we want twins. I'm sure in Satan's kingdom, that sounds like a favor, right? Uh but I mean, if you're just buying a kid like a product, I mean, if I went and bought a TV and it was supposed to be, I don't know, have some great speakers and I turned it on and half the speakers were blown out, I'd take it back and get my money back. Like, this TV doesn't work. Well, you're work. not destroying the TV. 
Like it's they already were destroyed, right? Kill the child. So like this is you can't really even compare it to anything. Well, I mean, you can. I mean, in Satan's kingdom, right? A kid is no different than a TV. It's just a thing. Well, it's just a yeah. A I guess if that's it's, the way they're viewing it, but I mean, it's a it's a hamster. It's a frog. It's nothing. It's the same thing, right? It's all nothing uh, at the end of the day. So, you know, does anyone see a problem to stuff like this? And if you well, do, then you should have a problem with surrogacy. The lady did not terminate the pregnancy, by the way. She did not feel comfortable doing that. No, I'm not the, ready to call her a hero. The couple happily received their one baby. Yeah, and think how those well. conversations go as the kid grows up. <laughs> no, tell me no, your we didn't want story. You. No, yeah. we asked him to kill you. They wouldn't do it. So here we are. Happy birthday. We were going to kill you because you're... I don't know. Your sister didn't make it in the womb. She didn't take. So we didn't want you. Like, that's weird. Like, this story is going to be circulating forever. You're special, Johnny. So, you know, I agree with the Pope, you know, for a lot of reasons. Like I mentioned, the homosexual couple reason is probably the chief reason. But, you know, I think. There's a lot of, I mean, just talking about this story with this intended mother, we're just buying kids like televisions from a store, right? Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons why this should be rejected by Christians. Um, And also, one of the main reasons why surrogacy is on the rise in America, uh, I can't, I don't know if I can find the article. I don't think I grabbed it. But when I was looking this up, one of the main, I'll try to have it linked in the show notes. I know I say that a lot and I probably forget to put the articles Mm -hmm. down there. I will do my best here. But this one was from newbornadvantage.com. And it said basically one of the main reasons why surrogacy is on the rise outside of homosexual couples is that many men and women in advanced countries are waiting longer to have children, often choosing to complete their education or begin careers first. Oh, wait, here it is. Let me see if I can pull it up. Uh Just for those of you on the video, no, I'm not lying to you. Um, let me pull this up. Yeah, it says, uh, one of the reasons for this decrease is because men and women in advanced countries are waiting longer to have children, often choosing to complete their education or begin careers first. Mm-hmm. So, you know, men and women are choosing career over family. And then once they decide, you know, that their first love, right, their chief love of money is satisfied, usually pushing them into middle age, you know, now they're ready for kids. Well, having kids once you're middle aged becomes a lot harder. Uh, So what's the solution? Well, just go to Wombs R Us down the street and buy the kid. I mean, you got all the money now, right? You put your career first, you got the money now. So it's no big deal, right? It's no sweat. And not to mention, it can be quite lucrative for the surrogate. Uh, One of the articles I read, you know, women were being paid like $30,000 per child. Like, so that's just a win-win for everyone, right? Except the child. But who cares about them, right? This is America. And in America, I am always the most important. The great I. Weird. Weird stuff. So now... I do realize that surrogacy basically is in the Bible. 
and I'm not talking about Mary. Some of the articles I read, they're like, oh, Mary was a surrogate. Calm down. All right. You're not Mary. <laughs> um, well, she raised him. I don't think it really is even the same thing. Right. She didn't have in vitro fertilization because she decided to place career over family. Um, God set her aside before the foundation of the world to be the one in whom the Christ child would come. That's a <laughs> quite different story than what we just yeah. read about the parents who wanted to abort their kid because it wasn't twins. But there are stories in the Bible, right? Abraham had Ishmael effectively through a surrogate, through Hagar, Sarah's um, servant. Then you have like Jacob. He had some of his children through Rachel and Leah's servants, Bilhah and Zilpah. But those actions were never, to my knowledge, like commended by God. Hey, way to go. You slept with the servant and now you have Ishmael. Like they were never commended. I mean, God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And we saw that with Abraham. We saw that with Jacob and his sons. But it's not like God was patting them on the back for doing that. Right. Um, and in many respects, these men weren't godly. Uh, they weren't role models of godly living throughout their life. I mean, Jacob was kind of the great deceiver through most of his early life. And even as mm -hmm. an old man, he was a deceiver. And Abram tried to give his wife to Pharaoh just to save his own hide, basically. Like, those aren't commendable traits either. So um, yeah. I think I'm out on surrogacy. And like you kind of mentioned, especially with the number of children in foster care, the number of kids needing adoption. We just went to our first foster care meeting last week, and they mentioned 450,000 children in foster care alone. So there's a need. Um, now it's not a shiny new, you know, baby, but they're kids who need families and homes. So there's mm -hmm. an option instead of wombs are us. Uh, and I think that would be the more righteous path, you know, rather than just cooking up a kid in a lab and paying some other woman to carry it for you. And then also surrogacy has been used in a lot of respects. And I think it's increasing in this area too, by celebrities, you know, who basically don't want to ruin their bodies by carrying children. You know, I think the Kardashians have done this. I read that Paris Hilton had done this, right? You know, their bodies are important. They're money makers. But you, woman down the street, carry my child for me. Like, is there anything more How like... weird is it? Like, think if you, your mom told you, oh, yeah, you're, you are my kid, but you were never in my womb. I never gave birth to you, but I'm your real mom. How... Especially if your so body falls about... apart later anyways. <laughs> like, what if you're like, you hit 60 and you get like overweight and your like knees give out. You're like, yeah, I didn't want to carry you because my body was so important to me. And they're like. Your body doesn't like, fall <laughs> apart because you have a baby. No, it's ludicrous. But this is just another reason why I think surrogacy is, again, I, I'm not really ready to say today that in all respects, you know, like abortion, I will say in all respects, I'm out on abortion in all respects is wrong and sinful surrogacy. I I'm pretty much there, but I would have to give it more thought. Um, but by and large, I'm with the Pope on this one surrogacy, probably human trafficking, um, probably sinful in many respects, probably, uh, unjust to the children. And, yeah, uh, it's strange leads you down a lot of weird paths where 
you're carrying my baby and I want you to kill it. Now what do you do? I paid you handsomely to carry that kid. It puts you in some pickles there. So yeah. do you have any last thoughts on the wonders of modern medicine and surrogacy? I mean, I could talk more on it, I guess. I mean, this that story alone was just... Does it make you feel good to say, I'm standing with Pope Francis? Me and Pope Francis. No, I don't want to say that, but you, I agree. I agree with what he said. I will say Pope Francis is standing with us. Makes me feel better. Yeah, he's siding with us. Way to go, Pope Francis. Uh, (laughs) All right, so um, we'll keep this thing moving. We mentioned we wanted to talk about a survey that came out recently. Um, and this, we haven't had enough bad news in this episode already. I'll let Nikki read the headline. Oh boy. <laughs> it says above reproach, fewer Americans see pastors as ethical. The biblical call to maintain a good reputation with outsiders is becoming a bigger challenge in the U S as public perception of clergy falls to a record low. Hold on now. All right. So you're telling me. That the ripped up, skinny jean, beanie cap wearing, Fortnite playing pastors aren't being seen as ethical and they're not being held in high regard by the American people. Who could have seen that coming? I mean, mm. it blindsided us to be sure. This, I mean, never in a hundred years would I have guessed <laughs> that those ripped up skinny jeans didn't exude ethics and morality and, you know, godly leadership. Um, Yeah. It says down here, uh, let me see if I can find it right here. (laughs) This is something. The country's perception of clergy hit a new low in recent Gallup polling, with fewer than a third of Americans rating clergy as highly honest and ethical. Hmm. Says people are more likely to believe in the moral standards held by nurses, police officers, and chiropractors than their religious leaders. Think about that I don't statement. know. I don't agree with that. I, I read that and I was like, eh, after 2020, yeah. I don't really take nurses and all them doctors serious. I think they have, they're, they're, they're lower on that bar now too because of all that. Yeah. It's like you don't trust no, a lot of people lately. During then. We are like, is there any sector of society that's been more damaged in the country's eyes than the medical field? yeah. But I mean, look at like in the aftermath of George Floyd, BLM, like police officers are thought more highly of than pastors. And then, like you mentioned, in the aftermath of COVID tyranny, nurses are still thought more highly of. Like that is wild to think of. Um, But don't lose all hope, you pastors out there. Hope still abounds. The article continues on here and it says, clergy are still more trusted. Than politicians, lawyers, and journals. Oh boy! All <laughs> like, uh, oh, right. So you always got that to fall back on. Um, you're still more highly thought of than the lowest of the lows in America. Society or politicians and lawyers. And I would say maybe this list didn't you're go just, far enough. You're just lumped up with them. You're probably equal. I don't know. But you probably still beat out crackheads. Probably still beat out racists, maybe even pedophiles, although 
the media is working pretty hard to change that last one there. So the narrative on that one might be out here pretty soon. So it's not all bad. You're still beating politicians and lawyers and probably crackheads. We don't know because they weren't uh, surveyed, but I would assume you're beating crackheads. Um, and this article goes on in here and it talks about, let me see this. Uh, it says views of pastors did vary by generation. Elder millennials and Gen X were most cynical. Go figure. Gen X was most cynical, huh? <laughs> uh, fewer than a quarter of people between 35 and 54 had a positive view of clergy ethics compared to 38% of older Americans and 30% of those under 35. Positive perception of clergy among young people jumped by 10 percentage points compared to 2022. Hmm. Now, this article does go on in here and mention that things like clergy sex abuse scandal, you know, that obviously damaged the reputation of the clergy, but that was like 20 years ago, wasn't it? When like the Catholic sex abuse scandal, I think that was in like the early 2000s. So like, I mean, kind of harboring some resentment there, (laughs) still clinging to clergy sex abuse, but uh, doesn't help, right? But I think this should be a wake-up call to pastors all across the country. Like, mm-hmm. should be one of the many wake-up calls that they've probably failed to see over the last 20 years um, that they should have, you know, recognized and changed course from. But, yeah. like, stop trying to be a friend of the world. Maybe start worrying about being a servant of Christ. Maybe that's something you should try. And here's a more crazy idea if you want something from left field, Right. Maybe these folks that claim to want to serve God, maybe they should actually worry more about actually pleasing him than pleasing a secular society. And then just see, just for, you know, survey sake, for science, see if that changes people's mind and their views on you. See, let them see you actually be serious about God just for a change. You know, don't bend all the cultural whims. Just let them see you stand for God. Just a thought. It's just kind of weird. Well, I guess with all, it's because it's like the mega churches have these types of pastors. The, you know, you said the ripped up skinny jeans and all that, but I don't know. Maybe they don't care. Carl Lenses in the world is going to change people's mind on the ethics and, you know, the highly thought of nature of a pastor. Unlikely. I would say like how many more seeker sensitive hip hop pastors do we need? It's not working. Like it doesn't take a genius to figure out that is not working. America's losing its faith. They aren't trusting you. They're turning away from the church. Like if only, if only in God's, you know, infinite wisdom, he would have given us a manual on how Christians are to live and what qualities we ought to look for in the leaders of the church. If only God would have thought about that. Oh, he did. (laughs) Thank you, God. In fact, he gave us multiple books in the Bible speaking entirely about that, how to shepherd God's people and the qualities you need to be qualified for such a position. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know how many people know that that's in there. Do you know that 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus exist in the Bible? Those are there. You can open them up right now and you can read them. 
And it's not in Latin. But there's anymore. so many who even like they believe the Bible for salvation, but they don't believe it's relevant for our times. We don't work that way anymore. Well, and <laughs> this was something, think. you know, I've read uh, John MacArthur's book mm-hmm. not long ago, the uh, the gospel according to Jesus. And it's interesting, like reading that book and then kind of looking into it, what a controversial book that was in its day. Like it was a really controversial book, this idea of lordship salvation, that Jesus had to be your Lord mm-hmm. if he was to be your savior. And the amount of people that pushed back on that idea and you're like, Today they do. How is that controversy? Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't it? I'm going to hopefully not butcher this, but it's Romans 10 9, right? If you believe in your heart mm-hmm. that, uh, or if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Like, I think you people have don't to know what it means. That I think people, because I didn't know what it meant. I was one of those people who just thought, believe in your heart, confess that he is Lord, but. What does that mean, that he's your Lord? I never understood that. I never pondered it, I guess. It never caught my no. attention, that part of it. I don't think we did either. Like, I mean, you always hear the Great Commission, and it's, you know, go and make disciples of all nations, but then that's where it stops, and it doesn't go into and teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. Right. That's part of the Great Commission. You don't get the first part unless you're teaching them the second part. Mm-hmm. That's what a disciple is. They are taught and they obey Christ's commands. But we were taught that that's works, that that's legalism. It isn't. Um, if you love Jesus, if the Holy Spirit is in you, you will do what he commands you because he is your Lord. So you'll very want fascinating to, thing, but because you have a new heart. Yes. Cause you're born again. You desire to obey. Yeah. I mean, you have to, <laughs> that comes, you know, even before believing that God raised from the dead is confessing that he is Lord. That's Paul said that that's first, right? What a pathetic king that the pe- that people have in their mind. Yes, he has all these laws and decrees, but he doesn't really expect us to follow. What kind of a kingdom is that? Well, I mean, you're raised on singing songs like, I am a friend of God. I know. He calls me friend. Like, sure, maybe he does, but what do you call him? He's not your friend. He's God. He's Christ. He's Lord. Um, yeah. You know, so it's not surprising, but this survey was maddening to me when I was reading through it. Because, like, we have a church cult- uh, culture, if that's what you want to call what we have in America, that seems to be determined that, like, it's going to be as much like the world as they can be in hopes of convincing the world that they're cool and the world should be a part of their church and the world's laughing at them mm-hmm. because even the world can see that they're being dishonest. Well, this is how with parenting it is. Um, they want to be cool to their kids and not hold them accountable to obeying or anything. And then the kid laughs at them and disrespects them. They have no respect for their parent. And this is the same mentality that these lukewarm Christians have with God. They no. Think, no, he's just my friend. Jesus is my homeboy. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus is my homie. And they can see that you're being hypocritical. Like, they at least know enough about the Bible to be like, yeah, you're not really being serious about it. Mm -hmm. And then they hear us, you know, water down scripture, and they kind of just take the talking points from us and run with it, right? Um, 
So here's a verse that I got for uh, all the world pleasers that are damaging the church's reputation. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Trust him. Trust mm-hmm. his word. Do what yeah. it says. Um, you don't know how to grow Christ's church better than he does. So yeah. trust in the Lord with all your heart. Read the words, believe them, and then do them. Don't read the words and go, I don't know how the New York Times is going to handle that. So I'm just going to change it to mean like Jesus's love. And then maybe they'll be kind to me. Nope, that doesn't work. Uh, It's proven it doesn't work. The American church is evidence that that doesn't work. So maybe let's try it his way again and see what happens. I mean, it really can't get worse in America. Um, We're already, (laughs) we already got pastors that are slumming it with the lawyers and politicians. I mean, there's only one rung lower. I mean, you pastors in this nation are pretty close to sitting with Congress as far as Yeah, they want to. That's the toilet bowl of approval when you're sitting with Congress. So (laughs) not good. Maybe try it his way for a change. I get it. Your coffee's great. I'm sure people are blessed by your coffee. Maybe let's try following Christ as Lord and see what happens for a change. Um, Just a thought. Do you have any uh, final thoughts or statements you want to make on American clergymen slumming it with the lawyers and politicians before we get back to Alistair Begg? No, let's move on. All righty. Before we get to Alistair Begg, if you wouldn't mind, please take a second to like the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, Rumble, Facebook, subscribe if you haven't, please. Uh, If you're on the podcast, please consider leaving us a five-star review, following us or subscribing, whatever your platform asks of you. That stuff only takes a second, but it certainly helps us a lot, and we would be very appreciative. All right. So, um, Alistair Begg, he came out this week in response to the heavy criticism that he has been receiving but we don't want to talk about that. You guys have probably heard it. If you're following Alistair Begg at all, you heard of his sermon. Um, that's not really what we want to talk about. And first off, I think James White kind of nailed it. Uh, I saw his post on X and he kind of made the point that like, it doesn't seem like Alistair Begg actually heard the criticism. It seems like a lot of it was filtered yeah. through his staff mm-hmm. because he really didn't address any of the criticism directly. He just kind of, you know, soft sold the criticism, you know, without really addressing it head on. So, you know, maybe his staff, and that was what uh, American family radio kind of talked about, right? They reached out to Alistair who they'd had a decades long relationship and they got to talk to his staff. Right. And the staff told him like, eh, Alistair believes he, it, yada, yada. He said he should be the one to respond. Yeah. Right. And you can understand in a sense, Alistair is a 71 year old man probably not super hip on Twitter and Instagram and all this sort of stuff. So if his staff isn't bringing it to him, like, Hey man, this is kind of snowballing and things are getting out of control. You should probably address this head on. But if they're just like, Oh, you know, Alistair, he's said what he meant. You know, he's a man of conviction, whatever. I don't know what they would have said, but, um, but anyways, it did escalate to the point. I read in that, um, an article from Christianity today that, He did actually have a meeting. I don't know if it was face-to-face or over the phone or what with John MacArthur, and they both decided uh, 
it would not be wise to have him at the Shepherds Conference. The article said that it would be a distraction, which I think it would be. So I don't know if that was MacArthur. Um, the the guy who I think was responding was Phil Johnson, who's kind of been one of uh, the elders at uh, Grace Community for a long time. And he basically said the advice MacArthur would give is vastly different from the advice that Alistair would give to such a situation. So it made it seem like MacArthur was not on board with the advice that Alistair gave. Right. So um, that, that was all. We don't want to get into his actual response. We really just want to use Alistair as a symbol, if you will, to make a broader point. Um, I want to play a few clips that I saw this week, and then Nikki and I will come back and discuss those. Uh, some of them may be challenging to hear, so we'll try to give you a rundown as we go through them. But let me just get into this first clip. I'm not kidding. I don't have that much time, and I have a lot to call. All right, so somebody call security. Chill. Don't do that. All right. So Black fish, I'm coming up. You can shower as much as you want. Just be quiet. I'm going to shut my mouth. Silence. Thank you. I'm throwing the key away. It's gone. My bad. So for those of you on the podcast, you obviously couldn't see it. And there wasn't a lot to hear. You got to see the video. But it's this black kid, obviously in his 20s. I would assume he's at college. He's a black kid standing in a like a red plastic bin mm-hmm. in the back of a college classroom while a class is going on. And he's just washing himself with like a rag and soap in the back of this classroom. What is the water coming from what is this i don't know what it's coming is it one from. of those i was just wondering it's, it's not, not the not easiest sink. video to see it's just a short little like you know clip looks like it was filmed on somebody's like phone but he's um, catching the water in a tub yeah and he's just kind of washing himself with his shirt off he's just standing there in shorts with he's his covered shirt off, in soap suds covered in soap <laughs> and the teacher says okay call security and the kid goes don't do that and she's like okay you can stay if you're just silent and he's like all right and then he just keeps washing himself in the back of this class. So that's the first clip. <laughs> and they only get worse from there. Isn't that great? So let's listen to this next clip. Father, Ken already introduced me a little bit, but I just wanted to say hi and say thank you. My name is Pastor L. I use pronouns like she or they. I'm a campus minister in Chicago for a joint Lutheran Episcopal campus ministry downtown on the Loop, where I also pastor to a group of unhoused folks. Um, Before we get started, I wanted to just name something, too, uh, from the reading from Corinthians. You might have noticed that we didn't read one part out loud, and that's because it's yikes. So um, putting that reading in original context, um, Paul himself uh, was a Jewish man, right? And so there were sort of inter-Jewish conversations and disagreements about the role of Jesus and what that means. Uh, But really, in this letter to the Corinthians, Paul's being kind of a jerk, both about Jewish people and about the Greeks. And even more important than his original intent is the way that verses like that have been used throughout the ages to harm our Jewish siblings. And so we wanted to just sort of name that right out, even before we got started with anything else, um, and to kind of put that before us as something, particularly those of us gathered here who are Christians, the way that we can look at the way our traditions, the way that our scriptures have been used to harm our siblings and to be accountable for that. So thank you. <laughs> so cringy for me. Uh, cringy. Awful. So here's this woman 
claiming to be a pastor that is shielding the folks that showed up to whatever you want to call what she was doing. I won't call it church. It's basically a play. They're playing church. And she's shielding them in this from the big meanie, the Apostle Paul. It's too yikes for them. <laughs> yes. Corinthians was too yikes for them to even name in a church service. So she couldn't even mention the uh, Holy Spirit-inspired text that's profitable to make us, you know, complete in our faith. It was yikes to her. So that was <sighs> whatever that was. Let's go on to the next clip. Okay, that's enough of that. Um, that's the first time I watched it. So there was no real, uh, nothing to really hear for the podcast, folks. So this is a video of Scott Kirby. And Scott Kirby is the CEO, I believe, of United Airlines. And this video of him posted to X or Twitter is him dressed like wolf drag and dancing to a crowd. And this is not, you might say, well, that's a one-off kind of crazy thing. No, it's not. Um, Scott Kirby, I guess, commonly dresses in drag. Here's more images of this gentleman dressed in drag. It's apparently something he does quite often. So that's video number three. Got one more for you folks. So let's go to this last video. This is yikes. <laughs> this is yikes. My daughter went viral. She's 11 years old. She loves to dance, mountain bike, and hang out with her friends. Her teachers think she's an angel. Her two little brothers disagree. She's a pastor's kid. She loves to acolyte and sing in the choir. She's also transgender. That means that when she was born, everyone thought she was a boy, but she deeply knows herself to be a girl. From the time she could talk, her favorite color was pink, and she loved all things girly. She used to dress up in my old dance recital costumes. She would twirl and twirl. The day she learned the word transgender, she went, oh, maybe that's what I am. We talked to a gender therapist and our doctor. Our heads were spinning. We read everything we could about transgender kids. And a few weeks later, Rebecca went out into the world for the first time as herself. Arts and crafts at our house now looks like making protest signs. And school writing assignments have turned into speeches. By being an out and proud transgender young person, Rebecca helps make space for other kids to be themselves. And I am so excited to introduce you to her. Rebecca. To me, being transgender. 
transgender just means being myself. It means being who God made me to be. It's not about how I act or what I wear. It's who I am. Good. So we didn't play it all. There's a longer clip of. Yeah, you can see more of these. Poor boy talking. That was Jamie, I believe, Brusahoff is her name, showcasing her dressed up son, who she calls a girl, to rousing applause at a youth uh, Lutheran youth conference that it says up here had 20 or 30,000 teenagers in attendance. And, you know, I wonder if these are the clergy that the country doesn't respect and doesn't think are ethical. Um, because I don't know them, but I don't respect them or think they're ethical either, but that's not the point. Uh, the reason why I wanted to show these four videos, and we really could have shown many, many more videos, probably just from the past week to highlight the the point that we want to make here is that they're really all the same thing. They're all the same thing. They all highlight the same thing. They're the same problem in America. And it's a biblical problem because I think what these four videos show, and again, there's many more we could show is the debased mind that Paul speaks of in Romans chapter one, verse uh, 28, well, 28 through 32. So do you want to read Romans chapter one, verse 28 through 32? And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree— that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Well, hold on, Paul. They shouldn't die. They should be loved and snuggled until they come back. (laughs) What do you mean? That Lutheran cleric, she would shield her congregation from such heart. They deserve to die, Paul says. So what is the debased mind? Mm -hmm. Well, Paul here, of course, explains it uh, in that verse. But, you know, I think we were reading from that ESV in that verse. Um, The LSB, it says that it's an unfit mind. And the KJV says a reprobate mind. Mm -hmm. And the Greek word that is used there, I'm going to probably get it wrong, but it's adakimos, I believe. I don't know. Adakimos, I think, is uh, how you say it. or I'm butchering it. But it can mean, you know, worthless, unfit, corrupt. And that is what we're seeing in all of these videos, these four videos that we just showed, a reprobate, unfit, corrupted mind. And, you know, in that first video there, the man showering in the college classroom, he wasn't the reprobate in that classroom. He's mentally ill. He has a mental illness. The professor and probably the students are the reprobates. You know, they're, I would say they're the ones with the debased mind. Just allowing a mentally ill man to shower in front of your classroom and you just go, as long as you're quiet, 
I'll let you stay here. That's insane. Kick the dude out, get him help, get security, like, act like a human. Instead of just going, nope, this is a men's locker room now because that guy said it is. And we must accept it because he's a guy who just showers in classrooms. It's a reprobate mind. It's unfit. It's corrupted thinking. We're afraid to confront anybody, even in their insanity. Like, we're afraid of offending insane people. Right. And keep in mind, that was a college. So my initial thought was, it sounded like a white woman. That was a professor. I don't know. But I'm like, well, here's a white woman with a black guy. I'm sure she was terrified to say, I'm going to call security because now I'm a racist. Better just let him shower in here. She's I mean, gotta- he's obviously something's wrong with him. He's probably going to act crazy That's if she would for. have called security. She's like, probably be more peaceful if I just let him be than if I call security in here. Yes. I don't know. Maybe that was her thing. I don't know. To an unfit mind, that does yeah. make sense. Um, that was the first video. The second video, obviously, the debased mind of that woman in clerical garb was on full display. Uh, it's funny, if you go back to that, I'll try to pull it up here. The kind of quote from the retweet on this says, uh, Martin Luther would personally drown every member of e- ELCA with his bare hands if he was still alive. Now, I'm not sure if Martin Luther would actually do that, but I think the indignation for this reprobate is right. She is obviously not a believer, but I would wager that there was not a single believer in that entire building that she was speaking to. Right, Um, right. I walk out. I mean, you just called Paul a a jerk. (laughs) Right. You just told the whole church that there's some things the Holy Spirit said that we just don't need to. It's just too, it's not modern enough. All right. Yeah. And it made me think when I thought this, I was like, boy, this is just. All of Vody Bauckham's red flags wrapped up in a one-minute clip, mm-hmm. right? She's de-emphasizing the Bible. The church is being aligned with a post-Christian culture. Notice how she called them the unhoused people. No, they're homeless, right? That's yeah, I caught that too. And then lastly, she's apologizing for essential Christian doctrine. She checked off all three boxes in a minute and a half. So kudos to her. Uh And then the third video there, right? The CEO of United Airlines. I mean, right? Like, that's all you need to know about him to know he has a debased mind, right? Transgendered, wolf drag, dancing in front of crowds. Yeah, how comfortable do you feel getting on a United Airlines flight? And he made the point in one of his talks that they're currently at 19% of their pilots are black or female, and they're going to push that number to 50%. Why don't we push for merit and the best pilots, whomever they are and however they look? Not Gosh. them, right? They're going to, they're, them and Boeing are racing to see who can be the worst, you know, airline on the planet. And uh, Boeing's probably got the lead right now. Their planes are falling apart uh, on takeoff. So that's not great. But then lastly, the woman. Jamie Brusahoff, right, abusing her child in front of a supposed Christian youth conference. The child, I don't think, has a debased mind. The child is mentally ill, but probably suffering from abuse by her reprobate parents. It's the parents with a reprobate mind. 
you know, those parents using their son's mental illness to, I don't know if they're trying to brand themselves or brand building for whatever they are. But what they're doing is cementing this young boy in a lifestyle of perversion and sexual immorality that's likely going to lead him to hell unless God intervenes in a powerful way. That people, I mean, this is in a church. To thundering applause. Yeah. 30,000 youth are in there. And that kid looked like he had been on many a stages to give many a talks. Looked very comfortable. Yeah. And what he was doing. Um, he knew when to pause because he expected applause. Yeah. Oh, he knew what he, he was doing. He paused I think. knowing what I just said is worth. Yeah. So I think those four videos to me highlight a debased mind and running the gambit in this country. But how does Alistair fit into all of this? How does Alistair beg make sense in this? And I think the reason Alistair is so important right now all across the country in Christian circles all across the country. Why he's so important is because we live in a world where the reprobate mind is running wild and it's everywhere and it's making decisions on a national level, right? And the world and Satan's children are causing confusion everywhere. You know, crooked lines are being drawn everywhere. They're muddying the water between what is right and acceptable and what is wrong and unacceptable. And in a world of crooked lines, the church must draw straight lines. Yeah. And Alistair is not doing that. Right. Um, Alistair is doing what the world does, and that's the problem. Yep. You know, where he should be kind of a, at this stage in uh, notoriety, he should be one of the leading voices on a clear, fine line between right and wrong, between godly and evil, if you will. But instead, he's muddying the waters himself. He's causing confusion. Mm-hmm. He's drawing crooked lines. And therefore, he's partnering with the world that's standing against God. Um, yeah. And now I'm not going to go so far as to say that Alistair mm-hmm. has a debased or reprobate mind yet, but he's certainly joining in with them on this yeah. issue. And that's the problem. That's why Alistair is a big deal right now, I think. Yeah. I was going through the comments. Um, I just like to see what other people have to say. And I just liked what this one guy, I, I don't know who Andy is, but this is his, what he said. He said, Alistair Begg is wrong. Christians must not attend gay weddings. Doing so is celebrating and affirming what God condemns. We should be loving, but what does love mean? Affirmation, celebration, participation. You can love your drug addict friend without lighting up. You can love your stripper friend without attending her strip shows. And you can love your LGBT friends without attending their weddings. He says it is not unloving to abstain from an event or an activity if it violates your moral and religious convictions. It is loving toward God. Would you be offended if your Jewish friend refused to attend your pork roast dinner? No. Would you be offended if your Jehovah's Witness friend refused to attend your Christmas party? No. Abiding by your convictions is not unloving or judgmental. It is respectable. Compromise isn't kind. It's unfaithful. Christians will have much more success at reaching the LGBT community if we stick to our convictions and love instead of compromising in fear. And that part right there, compromising in fear, is what Alistair is doing. And he he is... Um, teaching this at 
as like a teaching for all Christians. I, I know he said this is a specific situation that I gave this advice, but he really is teaching it. Um, well, no, I mean, on his podcast, he made the point that like, this is what we might have to do. Mm -hmm. Something like what I did for this woman. Here's the advice I gave her, which was kind of like, we all may need to do this kind of uh, yeah. invitation there. Because what he had said in that podcast, um, he said Christians not attending such a ceremony could reinforce judgmental stereotypes the culture holds about the church. Um, he's, he says, um, well, here's the thing, your love for them, when he was talking to the grandmother, he said, well, here's the thing, your love for them may catch them off guard, but your absence from attending the wedding will simply reinforce the fact that they said these people are what I always thought, judgmental, critical, unprepared, unprepared to countenance anything. And so that right there is, he is calling all Christians, um, it's a call to all Christians to prove to transgender and queer that we aren't judgmental. Um, so that's just very dangerous advice, especially in the culture we're in now. Um, it's already infected the churches. So his advice is just making it worse. So that's why I'm so concerned for him. And he's just, and I liked what um, Doug Wilson had said, which he said what he thinks he's doing and what he actually is doing are different things. He might right. think he's doing something, but he has to look at it and say, well, this is actually what's coming about. I intended this. This is what I thought I was doing, but and that's, that's what, what he said last week. He said the principle is right. Yeah, we should go out of our way. We should maybe even do things to catch people off guard. If the, But like his application's wrong. The principle is right. Yeah. Largely, don't be judgmental, mean, spirited. Go out of your way to love people like Christ commanded us. Those are good principles, but his, he's applying it improperly. Um, that was the point we made, and I stand by it. So, yeah, I think that's what he's doing. I mean, he's acquiescing to the world, and he's letting the world tell him what a Christian ought to be and how a Christian ought to act. We don't have to prove to anybody that we're not what they say we are. Yes, we're to call we're supposed to judge those in the church. God judges those outside the church. Um but we're not being judgmental by just not participating in celebrating sin. Right. I mean, that's the you know, the high priestly prayer, right? That Jesus says, you know, the world will hate them, but I don't ask that you'll take them out of the world, basically, but that you'll, you know, I'm going to butcher it, but essentially that you'll just be with them in the world. Right. right? loving them, caring for them in the world, even while the world hates them. Jesus didn't say, the world's going to hate them, so let's just help them be more like the world so they accept them better. Mm -hmm. It's not what we were taught, right? But, you know, we discussed this again earlier in the show with that survey that we looked at. Um, that The more the church tries to look like the world, the less respect the world actually has for the church. Because again, if you follow Alistair's sort of advice here, what ground are you going to stand on? What line, what straight line are you going to draw for these um, LGBTQ couples where you say, like, I'm not doing that because Christ is my Lord. Um, I'm living this way because I believe in Christ more than I, you know, care about making you happy in this moment. Your soul means more to me than affirming this relationship. Um, Jesus would not go 
so we should not go. Well, Jesus was a friend of sinners, don't you know? You'll hear that over and over again. So that means you have to participate in all of their, you know, satanic worship services. And uh, no, that's not what it means. Jesus was a friend of sinners who called sinners out of sin into righteousness and he surrounded himself. That's what with it means. Who walked in that manner? He's a friend of sinners. That doesn't mean you just hang out with sinners all the time while they continue to reject. If they continue to reject Jesus, it's he's not going to like force himself. Nope. I'm going to uh, keep hanging out a, with you, even though you hate me. <laughs> no, that's not a true application of being a friend of sinners. <laughs> so go sin with the sinners. Nope, that's not it. Um, but that idea, it's backfiring. Um, and more than that, it's sinful, right? To be partaking. We read Ephesians 5.11. We're not to be partakers of them in that evil. Um, we're to live in stark contrast to the world. Even while living in the world, we're still in the world, but we're supposed to live different than the world. Um, and this is what the, you know, sort of Christians in name only, that sort of camp gets wrong all the time. That You know, somehow if we're not partakers of the world with Satan's children, then somehow we aren't being uh, loving enough to convince them to be Christians as, you know, themselves. And that's just dead wrong. That's just a complete backwards way of trying to live a Christian life. Making people feel accepted in their lifestyle is not an act of love. That's not a demonstration of your love for them. Loving them would be like they're in need and you help them in their distress, or you forgive them when they've hurt you. Um, There's plenty of opportunities to demonstrate love outside of celebrating in something that they know offends you, your faith, your convictions, and your God. Yeah, like if your grandson got married to a transgendered person, and they moved in together, and they called you, and they said, hey, our toilet backed up and I don't know how to fix it. Can you help me? Yes. There you go. Go and help them. Yeah. Be loving and kind to them. But when they say, hey, we'd like you to celebrate this thing God calls an abomination with us, you say, I'm sorry, I cannot because I love Jesus even more than you. Um, that's not unloving. That's showing them what it means to be a Christ follower. So, um, you know, those four videos that we showed, <laughs> wild videos. Um, That's what the world is being fed on an endless loop. This insanity, this confusion, this muddied water. So where are they going to go to find a solid foundation if it's not the church? There is nowhere else to turn. You know, so while Alistair may think that what he's doing is opening his arms to the world in hopes of inviting them in, what he's really doing is showing them exactly why they have no need of showing up in the first place. Mm -hmm. Because with Alistair's message, the church is just another place of crooked lines. So what's the incentive of going there? Mm -hmm. You know, but rather the more deplorable that the world gets, I think the focus on righteousness for the church needs to increase. Mm Mm-hmm. And this is basically like the Puritan movement, right? We need to be that shining light in the darkness. We you don't want to dim our light 
to not offend. Like, you know, the world is like, your light's too bright. It hurts my eyes. It's offensive. Like, <laughs> Well, that's yes. a, exactly <laughs> it. The way you live your life offends me. So stop living that way. Mm-hmm. So I'm less offended. Right. Which is not terrible advice in some respects, right? I mean, we do want to be accommodating to people in certain things, right? If you listen to, you know, super loud hip hop music, and that's just the way you like to live your life. And well, your grandmother's coming over and she thinks it's loud and hurts her ears and she doesn't like the lyrics. Well, then be kind and turn the music off. Be accommodating in those situations, right? Like there are certain things. Go fix your grandson's toilet when it backs up. But you don't just lay down the commands of Christ. Mm-hmm. You don't sin in hopes of loving the world somehow and think that that's going to lead them into righteousness. And I think that's, we just don't understand sin, plain and simple. I mean, we don't understand the wages of sin is death. And we don't understand the gravity, the eternal gravity of sinning against a perfectly holy God. Because if we did, we wouldn't tell the smallest white lie. We would reject sin, is f- even the smallest sin. We would re- do everything we could to flee from it. But we don't understand sin. Mm-hmm. We just think, eh, you know, God loves me. Like, it's, eh, whatever. It doesn't make a difference really at the end of the day. Not realizing that the lake of fire awaits you for the littlest of those sins, mm-hmm. unless you have Christ's blood. So we don't understand it. But, you know, the country's going off the rails. Um, we really need to have that Puritan mindset. You know, I said, this is kind of what the Puritans were, right? Like not only were they just kind of obviously against a sinful world, but they were so focused on being pure and righteous before God that even the church was too much for them. (laughs) They're like, nah, man, even this church is going off the rails. We need to purify even from the church. We got to insulate more, focus more on God, focus more on righteous living that should be the mindset when the world's going crazy, not like, man, the world's going crazy. They're all jumping into the, the muddy, you know, s- slaw of despond. So I guess if I want to help them, I better get in the slaw with them. No, you should stand on the outside and cast a rope into them. That's how you help them, right? Stay clean. Yeah. Um, like they don't feel loved unless you jump in there with them, I guess. And I don't think Alistair is advising us that way. So we should make yeah. a big deal about Alistair. And he should recognize and understand why people are making a big deal. You know, we're in a clear battle of good versus evil in this nation, probably more clear than it's ever been in the history of mankind, uh, maybe with some few exceptions. The based minds, you know, they're ruling the day. You just expect, expect more with the gospel going forth to every nation. You'd expect things to look different, (laughs) but it's like, they're looking the total opposite, you know? Well, I mean, you know, what is it? Psalms two, right? The nation's rage, you know, is, uh, it makes sense that the nations would rage that way, especially as the light starts encroaching. Um, but that doesn't mean you throttle back and dim the light. But it is like when the gospel goes forth, it does make a clear line of separation between the sheep and the goats. And I think that's what you see. Yeah, it does. And that's why you can't be standing up there encouraging the sheep to go wade into the goat pen. You just have to identify the clear distinction, right? Um, You kind of mentioned 
being the light. And I had pulled up Matthew 5, verse 14 through 16. Do you want to read that? You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You know, and I, I just think Alistair, you know, he's asking you to dim your light to make the darkness feel more comfortable. And we can't do that. Um, you know, we have to point out the error in this teaching when and where we hear it. Because um, this isn't just Alistair, not like Alistair's on an island out there. It's many others, and they all need to be called out, and they all need to be addressed. You know, we kind of joked about Dallas Jenkins last week. We've done an episode about the Chosen and the Pride flag. It's Dallas Jenkins, too. He needs to be called out and called to repentance. And it's the Andy Stanleys and Zach Lamberts of the world and the whole, like, affirmation crowd. You know, debased minds are running wild. Social media is gasoline for them. And it's just raging right now. And we love Alistair. Like, we're grateful for his lifetime of faithful ministry. Um, but we can't take all of that and just go, well, he's been good in the past, so we'll just pat him on the back. He needs correction, mm -hmm. just as we all do. I mean, the second your feet veer to the left or the right, you should be praying that somebody would correct you. I know, not trying to like brag, but this is something I pray for myself is that God would chastise me as soon as my feet veer. Don't wait till I'm off the narrow road. As soon as my foot turns to the right, chastise me, get me back on the narrow path. Like, mm -hmm. I don't want to wait for it to be too late. And we kind of talked about this, like Alistair is a pastor of a very large church, very influential. So here he is saying something and all of like Christendom is coming out to tell him he's wrong. And he doesn't have to listen to me, but people he respects, right? John MacArthur and these other people, Doug Wilson, who are in sort of the same camp that he should respect are all telling him he's wrong and he's rejecting it. Yeah. And it makes you think like, well, how would Alistair handle if he was preaching and teaching something at his church, Parkside, and one of his members in the church just had a completely different sinful attitude towards it, Right how would Alistair handle that and go, listen, you're wrong. The entire eldership here is telling you you're wrong. You need to accept this. This is the idea of church discipline, right? You're going to take it to him. And if he doesn't believe you, you're going to get two or three more. If he doesn't believe that you're going to go to the church and you're trying to like build this, um, this collection of believers that the person should know and love that will accept the corrective teaching. Well, how is Alistair going to do that? Right. When he tries to come and discipline somebody in his church and they go, well, you mean like what you're doing? Why would I listen to you? Like, I'm just taking a stand. I'm right. right just like you said you were right. You so can't maybe tell someone else now, listen to wise counsel when he's not doing it. No, I mean, the Bible tells us iron sharpens iron. That means that like there are edges that need to be buffed out and sharpened. But if you're resistant to the sharpening, then you're not going to get sharp. You can't, you know, so Alistair's not being... Um, he's not receiving the sharpening that he should be receiving. And uh, I pulled up Deuteronomy chapter five, verse 29 here, just on the idea of striving to walk the narrow path, not letting your feet veer to the right or the left. And 
Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 29 says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and keep all my commandments all the days that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. And then God goes on to tell Moses, I believe, in that just a few verses later where he tells him not to let his feet veer to the right or the left. You know, he's that's his, that's his desire, right? He's saying, oh, I mean, you can get the sense of that context from God. Like, it's a desperation, like, oh, that they would just have the heart to do what I tell them. It would go well for them if they would just do what I tell them. It's like the heart of compassion from God. So it's important. God does give us that heart when we're born again. And he does, and he chastises us, and he corrects us, and he sends loving brothers and sisters, which is why community is so important because we all get it wrong from time to time and we need people to correct us. But if you're just resistant to all of that, well, then you're dismissing all of the helps God gives you. Yeah, all I mean, the this blessings, is chastisement really. to Alistair. The radio network you've been on for 10 years boots you off. Shepherd's Conference, which is like the biggest sort of reformed pastor's conference in the country, tells you no thank you. Like these are chastisements you should recognize and turn back and not let pride stop you. Now so, I worry and I pray that his heart doesn't get hardened and offended. Yeah. He would quickly humble himself because I I am concerned. I am too. I mean, like I said, we love Alistair. We love his ministry. I mean, I pointed out last week, I have his Spurgeon study Bible. I'm gratefully put the thing together. I love that Bible. I don't often carry a KJV around with me, but I'll carry that Bible from time to time because it's just so darn nice. Um, but, you know, that's why we wanted to make the point about Alistair. He is important. And it's not just him. It's all of those who muddy the waters, who draw the crooked lines. We need Christians to be people black and white. We need to be black and white people, straight line, clear waters, we have to be because the world is full of confusion and the world has to see a difference. They have to know where to go to find the difference. And it's got to be the church because there's nowhere else to go to find that difference. So yeah. do you have any last thoughts about Alistair, about any of the topics we discussed, the Pope, the surveys, Asbury revival, mm -hmm. anything of that sort? Nope. All right. We don't have a Bible topic, mostly because I'm slacking and lazy. So forgive me. Um, so you're really busy. Don't do I that. am, you but are very busy. That's one of my favorite quotes here. Let me see if I can pull it up here really quickly. Cause I like it and I always get it wrong and I'd like to get it right once. Cause I've wanted to say it to people in other settings, but I know I'm going to butcher it. So I don't say anything, which is a shame. You should never be silent. So the quote here is from Charles Spurgeon. And he says, one of the greatest rewards that we ever receive for serving God is the permission to do still more for him. Mm -hmm. And I love that quote. Um, so I'm fine being busy for the Lord. Just wish, uh, you know, get to the things we want to get to. So instead of doing a Bible topic, um, we're just going to recommend our Bible topic. So you guys know we've been talking about studying end times revelation type stuff. That's what we're kind of working on this year. So for our recommendation, we're going to offer up Matthew Everhard speaking about the idealist view of Revelation, which is the view that I'm least familiar with. And I like Matthew Everhard. I believe he's a Presbyterian pastor somewhere in Pennsylvania, I think it is. 
Um, he seems sincere. You know, I like listen to some of the teachings from him. Seems fine to me. So uh, if you're unfamiliar about what the idealist view is, or, you know, maybe you just want to get more understanding on it, I think it might be a good video. It's not terribly long, like 20 minutes. So go give that a listen. And we will be back tomorrow with our discussion, our devotion on Genesis 5, which I am excited about. Uh, I like the the direction this devotion is going. You know, it's awesome whenever you read the Bible and you just kind of get a new thought or something. Not like the Lord's doing a new thing, kind of. <laughs> but just, you know, you see a, a verse that stands out to you that didn't before kind of a thing. Or you read a commentary that points something out. So... Genesis 5 is pretty neat. And then we will be back, uh, you know, all next week, kind of doing the daily shorts, going through Genesis 6, if you will, which I believe brings Noah on the scene, which is pretty nice. And then, uh, of course, we'll be back next Saturday with whatever the world has for us. Hopefully, if I can make time for it, we'll be wrapping up, or getting close to wrapping up, knowing sin. We've still got to get to it, um, especially in light of the videos we just watched. Sin abounds. So, See you guys next Saturday. God bless.